0: I thank you for coming out to our Bible study tonight. Uh, There's no outline sheet. That's because we're not in Jeremiah. Um, I've decided to bring that to a halt for at least this year. And uh, tonight I want to spend our time um, considering the confirmation that Mary received after being told that she would be the mother of Jesus. But she would not know a man. That'd be quite a message to receive, wouldn't it? You know, imagine trying to you know process through that. And I want to consider uh, what happened after she received this life-altering news. So, can you open your Bible to Luke chapter one? And we'll read from verse 36 down to verse 45. Luke chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 36. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Behold, uh, sorry, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for this day you've given to us. Thank you that we can take uh, some time now uh, to study your word. Uh, Thank you for your word, thank you that you uh, have spoken, thank you for this uh, glorious portion of scripture before us, and our Lord, I I do ask that uh, you would grant to us uh, the gift of illumination, help us to understand uh, the word, and uh, please help us uh, to apply uh, the message you have for us, we ask this in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake, amen. Upon receiving the news that she would bring Messiah into this world That the Holy Spirit would come over her and that she would conceive in a miraculous way. That she would carry her Lord and Saviour. That the one who was larger than the universe is now a microscopic embryo in her womb. That the one who sustains the world is now dependent upon her for nourishment. Upon receiving this, her, her response is outstanding. It's recorded in verse 38, it says, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Isn't that a wonderful response? Now, You'd understand if she needed some time to process this. Can you give me a couple of weeks to try and think this through? You could understand if she struggled to believe, if she had reservations, if she had doubts. But that's not the case. In fact, her her response is a glorious example of surrender and submission to the will of God. She was willing to do this despite what it was going to cost her. Mary's reputation was on the line. What would others think? What would her parents think? What would her friends think? What would Joseph think? Who would believe her? We see later in the gospel accounts that there was always suspicion around Jesus' conception. And that would be a stigma that would always plague Mary. She would not have known if Joseph would stick around. This could potentially cost her everything, and yet she willingly submitted to the divine plan. She had faith in God's word. In fact, this is actually a wonderful illustration of faith. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith as the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. And Mary was convinced that all this would be so. Sure, some things didn't make sense in her mind. She certainly would not have understood how all of this would work. You know, she understood biology because she knew how it worked, and yet this was going to be... Completely different. And yet she believed. Okay, she trusted that God could do the impossible. She obeyed without qualification. She submitted without hesitation. She submitted to God's plan. And what's striking is that this young lady responded much better than Zacharias had earlier in the chapter. In fact, it seems that. These two are meant to be viewed as parallels. Okay, there's Zacharias. He's the priest. He's an elderly man, spiritually mature. He had served the Lord for most of his life, and yet he'd never had a child. And when he received the news that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son, that the old priest, he was full of doubt. He lacked faith. He doubted that this was possible. And I don't want to give him a hard time because most of us are like Zacharias. We struggle to trust God with things that call for far less faith. Okay, but here's the priest, the religious man lacking faith, and yet here's the young Jewish girl, the one who exists in obscurity, and yet she has a big faith, and she's willing to submit to God's plan and obey without hesitation or qualification. It's an outstanding response. And I know it's very early for application, but but I can't ignore this. Mary was a woman of great faith. And once she understood what God was going to do, once she grasped what he wanted her to do, that was it for her. There was no delay. There was no arguing the point. There was no trying to adjust the terms of the agreement, just sweet submission to God. Now, most of God's will for your life and for mine is actually very clear and it's very obvious. You know, we often think of God's will as some mystery. It's not true. Do you know where it is? It's in the Bible. It's written down in the Bible. That is God's will for you. The question is, are you, am I, willing to obey the will of God without hesitation and qualification? Will we conduct our relationships like he says will we parent like he says will we attend and be involved in church like he says will we read our bible like he says will we pray like he says will we share the gospel like he says and we could go on and on and on god's will for your life is quite clear the question is will you do it but then when it comes to the more particular direction that god wants to take you would you do that Without hesitation. Okay, well, would you obey a call that God places on your life? Would you sacrifice your career? Would you sacrifice your comfortable life okay, in order to be in some kind of vocational ministry? Okay, would you be willing to give up material prosperity? Or what you have worked so hard for okay, in order to advance the kingdom of God? Okay, does that describe our heart's disposition? You know, are we totally surrendered to Christ, because that's what it means to be a disciple. Okay, it means to be de- a devoted follower of Christ. And that's what the New Testament calls us to. Okay, a radical commitment to follow Christ no matter the cost. And this is certainly exemplified by Mary. Okay, Her obedience and her submission made her at the same time both the mother and a disciple of Jesus Christ. So now are we willing to do whatever God asks, no matter the cost? And do we trust him even when it seems impossible? Okay, these a good things for us to consider. Now, upon receiving this life-changing news and willingly submitting to it, okay, as the angel departs, Mary also departs. We're told in verse 39 that she departed for the hill country in Judah. Okay, this is believed to be south Of Jerusalem, a journey of around 120 to 130 kilometers. So let's say here to Newcastle, this would have taken her three to four days. And the purpose of this journey was to see her elderly relative, Elizabeth. Now the text is silent as to what information Mary revealed to those closest to her before she left. Did she tell her parents? Did she say anything to Joseph? Or did she tell them about the astonishing message from the angel? Did she reveal that she's carrying Messiah? Well, we don't know. I tend to think it's unlikely that she revealed too much at this point. But it would seem probable that she at least informed her parents of her plans. Okay, because when she went to see Elizabeth, she remained there for three months. Okay, verse 56 tells us that. And if she just vanished for three months, you would assume that her parents would be quite worried. Now, did she make this trip by herself? Did she go with someone else? We we don't know. I think verse 56 possibly indicates she was by herself. But what we do know is that she departed hastily. Verse 39 tells us that. And this term stresses speed along with eagerness. So she, she quickly departed with an eager anticipation to go and be with Elizabeth. Okay, There was no time to waste. And I wonder what thoughts were bouncing around in the mind of this young lady as she made this trip. Remember, she's under 20. She has just received this unimaginable news from an angel. And although that the text is silent as to when the conception occurs... It's very safe to assume that she was pregnant on this journey because she was carrying Messiah. Furthermore, she's just learnt that her elderly cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant, that that too was a miracle. So, so there's an awful lot to process. And hence, she probably needed this three to four days journey to simply try and process and comprehend everything that had unfolded. Her life had certainly changed dramatically. But the question is, why did Mary make this journey? Why did she leave so hastily? There are some who feel that she fled like a fugitive. Such was the scorn, the ridicule, and the rumor that that she simply had to depart. All of the stories, all of the gossip, it was just too much. She could no longer handle the verbal stones that were being thrown possibility, but to me that doesn't make any sense. Because at this point in time, she would not have been showing. Okay, her pregnancy was not evident externally, and if this was her motivation, why return three months pregnant when the external evidence is showing? Okay, if she left for that reason, she would not have returned. So this trip, I believe, was one of confirmation. It was a journey to confirm the message that had been given to Mary. Okay, notice in the dialogue with the angel. Okay, the angel is talking. And then in verse 36. He says and behold thy cousin Elizabeth. that okay, This seems to be a sign. Okay, what's the point of mentioning Elizabeth in this scenario otherwise? Now there's no indication that Mary was riddled with doubt. Okay, and hence Okay, this, this sign, okay, what was given to her in light of how startling and unsettling the message could potentially be. Okay, imagine if you were in her shoes and you received such a message. Okay, That would be an awful lot to process. And hence another conception miracle is given as a sign to confirm to Mary God's promise that she would conceive a son while remaining a virgin. Now something we, we need to remember, it's very easy to forget this. Okay, at this particular time, the 400-year period known as the silent years had just passed. So understand, God, God hasn't spoken. He, he hasn't performed amazing miracles like he has in time past. And hence, we can understand why Mary may potentially have some doubts. And hence, this other conception miracle is given as a confirming sign to show that God is still at work. Okay, that this is given to strengthen Mary's faith. The second conception miracle involves the elderly relative of Mary. Okay, she had a barren womb and yet the Lord intervenes and makes the womb of this lady who is well past childbearing age to conceive. Now, this conception was by normal means, but nevertheless, it's miraculous. In fact, hopefully it might remind us of a story in the Old Testament. It's just like Sarah. In fact, in verse 37, it says, For with God nothing is impossible. The same phrase is used in the Septuagint in the account of Sarah's miraculous conception. Okay, the verse being Genesis 18, 14. So, so there is a connection And for Mary, Elizabeth's pregnancy showed, it was evidence that nothing is impossible with God. And when she witnessed that, hence her scenario was certainly not beyond God. So hence this miraculous conception in old age was a sign for Mary to, to encourage her that her impossible pregnancy is true. That, that God's promise that she would conceive a son while remaining a virgin, it was possible. This is a sign to strengthen her faith. And within the text, there are actually two signs given that act as a confirmation for Mary. And it's these two that I want to consider. The first sign was physical pregnancy. Okay, the first sign is physical pregnancy. Okay, so Mary has left Nazareth hastily, as we've already identified. She was eager and excited to see Elizabeth. She had great news to convey, and there was great news to confirm. She wanted to hear about Elizabeth's miraculous conception and also tell her of her own. Now, upon arrival, an unusual scene is painted in verse 40. Mary enters the house. No one was waiting to greet her, which was the normal practice. So it seems as though Mary's visit was unexpected. And theologians refer to this encounter as the visitation. Now imagine that the face of the young virgin as she fixes her eyes upon the elderly relative. And she notices the pronounced bump. Okay? Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She's showing perhaps there was tears of joy, a shriek of excitement because it's very evident that this elderly lady was pregnant. And this amazing conception confirms in Mary's mind that miraculous pregnancies are possible. In verse 41, we're told that Mary saluted Elizabeth. This is speaking of a greeting. Now we need to understand greetings in the ancient East are far different to our contemporary greetings. Okay, our greetings today are usually short, sharp, and often superficial. But a greeting in Bible times was more of an extended social event that often involved a rather lengthy discourse. And there's an example in the Old Testament that's quite helpful. It was when Moses greeted his father-in-law. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 18, verses 7 through to 9. It says this, And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, And did obeisance and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians." So this greeting included bowing and kissing. It included expressing one's welfare. And then Moses retells the whole story of how Israel was delivered from Egypt. That would have been a lengthy encounter. And that's the idea expressed in our text. There would have been a firm embrace, hugs and kisses and detailed explanations of how each other were traveling and the miraculous events that had occurred in their lives. It involved Elizabeth sharing her story, and Mary sharing hers, and then rejoicing together. And how wonderful it must have been for Mary to be able to communicate with someone who would actually understand. Who better to confine in than someone else who had been the recipient of a miraculous conception? And Elizabeth didn't think twice about this because she had witnessed firsthand that God can perform Pregnancy miracles. Okay, she was the perfect one to console with, for they shared a common bond. But Elizabeth was more than one to confine in. She was also a sign of confirmation. Okay, her pregnancy was to confirm in the mind of Mary that her impossible pregnancy was indeed a possibility. For as verse 37 declares, nothing is impossible with God. And here she sees firsthand that God would keep his word. To her. But it wasn't just seeing Elizabeth that acted as a confirmation, but it was also what she said. Now, Elizabeth burst out in this glorious praise song. It's the first of five recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And this particular song is known as the Beatitude. Now, before we consider what she said, we must note the last phrase of the end of verse 41. It says, She was full of the Holy Ghost. Okay, And th- this phrase is key. Okay, we need to understand that at this particular time in redemptive history, they did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we do in the church age. But rather, one was filled with the Spirit, which would then give them power, which would enable them for a particular task. And this phraseology was most often connected With prophecy, okay, speaking a word for God. So in this context, it declares that what Elizabeth pronounced in this joyous outburst that come from the Lord, this was a divine declaration. Verse 42 says, she spoke, sorry, she spake with a loud voice. And this same terminology is associated elsewhere with speaking divine truth. John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Okay, so she declared the message that God gave her. And the message that she declared focused on the identity of the child that Mary was carrying. Okay, she, she pronounced that Mary was blessed among women, and the fruit of her womb is blessed. And the reason for that okay, is because of the identity of the child that she Is carrying. Okay, that this child was Elizabeth's Lord. Okay, that's what she says. Okay, and it's this identity that's significant. Lord. It's a declaration of deity. It's a divine title. This baby was Messiah. Okay, this is a title from Psalm 110, verse 1, a messianic psalm. And this was something that could have only been revealed to her by the Spirit. And it's this that prompted this joyous outburst of praise. The Messiah was present. The Lord had come and here he was in the home of Elizabeth. It was this that brought about her passionate praise, her joyous outburst. And this declaration helped to confirm in Mary's mind the identity of the one that she was carrying. You know, and something that is worth noting is how humble Elizabeth is in this particular situation. Have you ever thought about that? She, she had some very big news herself. And, and for the last six months, the big excitement of her life had been her own pregnancy. Okay, an elderly lady, she'd never been able to have kids. We don't understand the stigma that was attached to that in this particular society. But now she was going to have... A baby, that, that's incredibly exciting. But in this situation, she's not self-consumed. She, she's not jealous of Mary. She, she doesn't think, well, hey, why couldn't I have the Messiah? Why, why, why does Mary get to do it? But rather, she rejoiced with her. She, she honored her. And that's certainly worth us emulating. What's the book of Romans say? Rejoice with those that rejoice. That's to be our attitude not to be consumed with with jealousy and envy and all kinds of other wicked attitudes when others are more blessed than we are ourselves, but rather we're to rest and rejoice in the providence of God that he has seen fit to bless others in such ways. We would do well to be more like Elizabeth. Her character ensured that this was a positive and encouraging time. And we'd ensured that Mary's faith was increased and strengthened. Okay, this whole encounter confirmed the divine message from the angel. It strengthened her confidence that all things were possible with God. But there was a second confirmation. That's what I've called the sign of prenatal prophecy. Okay, the sign of prenatal prophecy. The confirmation received by Mary from Elizabeth is reinforced in the most marvelous way. We have recorded in verse 41 that the babe in Elizabeth's womb leapt. The Greek word translated leapt means to skip or to jump. And it's a far stronger term than the normal flutter of a baby in the womb. You know, babies at that particular time in the pregnancy will move around. They'll often be quite active. I know our children have been very active and were rebuked quite a lot by their mom, you know, moving around in the womb and hurting their mom. But, you know, we make an interpretive error if we take this to be normal fetal movement. Okay, the text is very clear that this is a supernatural reaction. We learn this in verse 44, where Elizabeth, now remember she's filled with the Spirit, And she interprets this sudden movement as an expression of joy experienced by the unborn child. He was filled with joy in the presence of the Lord. And the mum of all people would have felt that this was not the normal movement. There was something different about this. Now, who was in the womb of Elizabeth? It was John the Baptist. Okay, it's the forerunner of Christ, the great prophet. And what we have recorded here is his first prophetic announcement. Okay, he, he is declaring that Jesus is Messiah. We could say that John the Baptist is using the womb as the pulpit. But the question is this, how, how can he prophesy? Okay, how, how can he do that? And I think that's a fair question. But I want you to look back at Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. It says this, For he, this is speaking of John the Baptist, shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. That's speaking of the Nazarite vow. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Okay, So I put it to you that this information in Luke 1.15 is given to help us comprehend this abnormal movement in the womb in our text. Okay, this feeling of the spirit, even in the womb, enabled John to pronounce his first prophetic announcements of the coming Messiah. Okay, and just in case we think this is completely absurd, this is not the first time that movement in the womb had prophetic significance. Do you remember Rebecca's pregnancy? And, and there were similarities. Okay, she had been barren for a long time. That the Lord worked a conception miracle in response to Isaac's prayers. And after her conception, there was a real struggle in her womb. There was abnormal movement. And hence, Isaac he inquired of the Lord, Lord, what, what's, what's happening? And he was informed that there are two persons in the womb and they would form two nations. One would be stronger than the other and there would be constant conflict. So it's certainly not unreasonable to assume in significant scenarios that prophecies can be forthcoming from the womb and what greater occasion than the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hence this sudden leap of joy was a divine prophetic announcement to confirm that the Messiah had arrived. John the Baptist started preparing the way for Jesus even from the womb. And his ministry at this point was no doubt one that strengthened Mary's already strong faith. And it had quite the impact on her because she bursts out in praise. That, that's a response. And, and we have this joyous hymn known as the Magnificat that just comes flowing out of her. You know, I, I'd encourage you to, to read it, meditate on it. It's, it's a glorious hymn of praise. But, you know, it's very evident that this trip to see Elizabeth was a very important moment. These three months were vital in strengthening and encouraging Mary for all that laid ahead. Again, okay, the rest of the story will be unfolded over the coming weeks in both song and sermon as we get closer to Christmas Day. But for tonight, I want to leave you with three thoughts. The first one is this. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, the text shows that God is capable of doing amazing things. He is the miracle-working God, and that's the clear message of the Bible. We see that right through. Nothing is impossible without God. You hear he brought life to the old and barren womb of Elizabeth. That's a miracle. But, but the greater miracle was the virgin conception, where, where Mary was pregnant without knowing a man. Okay, the Holy Spirit come over her and this was necessary to ensure that Jesus was not of the seed of Adam. It was required So he didn't inherit a sin nature But it reveals to us clearly the infinite ability of our God. Nothing is impossible with him now the question is do you believe that? Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God now? we know the right answer don't we and we would say in theory well, well, well of course he's, he's all-powerful but I think our practice often reveals that we don't truly believe that. You know, we we doubt that our circumstances can be overcome. We think, no, that this is just too great. No, nothing can change this. You know, we we doubt that God can ever change that person. That they're just too stubborn. Even God can't change them. You know, we, we can get very down and very discouraged. But here's the thing: if God could perform the miracle of the virgin birth, then He's more than capable to handle the difficulties of your life. Because nothing is impossible with him, not even your situation. And this is such a vital truth to have infused into our lives. As J.C. Ryle said, our hearty reception of this great principle is of immense importance to our own inward peace. Nothing is impossible with God. Second thing, is the identity of the babe is confirmed. Okay, the identity of the babe is confirmed. Okay, this is the main point of this text. The child in the virgin's womb is not an ordinary child. He is Lord. He is God. Okay, this babe in the manger at Christmas time, he is God incarnate. The word was made flesh. And that's amazing. Okay, Jesus, fully God, fully man, two natures united in one person without mixture divisions or parts that's who he is he is the son of god he is the long-awaited messiah and i know that you know that so that, that's nothing new for you but may this glorious reality that's so wonderfully confirmed before us may that grab hold of our hearts again you know and may we get a fresh glimpse Of the glory of Christmas. The fact that Jesus Christ has come. That's astonishing. That the fact that he took upon himself human flesh. God left heaven. To come to earth. To provide us with salvation. That's amazing. That's astonishing. And may our familiarity not lead us to be blasé about that. Because my friend, God came to earth. God the Father sent God the Son to be the saviour of the world. God the Father sent his best. That that couldn't be made up by man. Christ the saviour has come. And may the commercialization and the consumerism of Christmas not take our focus away from what it's all about. The glorious reality that Jesus Christ has come. That for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. That is amazing. That God would take upon himself human flesh. That God would humble himself in such a staggering way, all for our benefit. That's the true meaning. That's the true message of Christmas. And I encourage you, meditate on that message. We need to do that. That's number two. Number three, and it follows on from number two. Joy is the appropriate response to the incarnation. Now, joy undoubtedly comes oozing out of this text. Elizabeth, she's full of joy. That the child in the womb leaps for joy. Mary is full of joy. Joy comes pouring out in their hymns of praise. You know, joy is the common response to the coming of Christ. And it's the right response to such good news. The Christmas story should produce joy. Joy being cheerfulness, a delight, a gladness, an excitement. Joy is the appropriate response to the incarnation. Whenever one realizes Jesus as the Christ and that Jesus has come, joy is the natural response. And yet, how easy it is at this time of year to be anything but joyful. We we're stressed, tired, worn out, worrying. How am I going to get everything done for Christmas? Do I have enough food? Have I forgotten something? What if they don't like their presents? There's so much that can rob us of joy, which is a great shame. Because for the Christian, Christmas ought to be joyful. Now, what I want to make clear is that true joy ca- cannot be fabricated because it must come from the Holy Spirit. That, that's evident from the text. They were filled with the Spirit and joy come flooding out like a river bursting its banks. This is what we need to experience joy. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. And this speaks about joy in our day-to-day life. Okay? This is a result of of who we are and what we possess in Christ. But the word joy that's used in our text of the leaping baby, it's actually a different Greek word. And it speaks of an extreme joy and gladness. It's translated exceeding joy in the benediction in Jude 24. So, so this speaks of a special joy for a special occasion. And may the Holy Spirit infuse us With this joy, this Christmas season. This extreme joy, because that's the appropriate response to what we celebrate. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. We will sing that song probably three or four times in the next few weeks. Now may that not just be words that come off your tongue. But may that describe the disposition of your heart, because it is joyful news. It is glorious news. Jesus Christ has come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that Jesus Christ has come. Thank you that we can remember that, particularly during the Christmas season, and Lord, I do pray that you know, joy to the world, the Lord has come, would be uh, the, the song uh, of our heart. Please, please strike us again of the wonder and the glory of, of the incarnation. Please help us to, to not get lost in, in all of the, the, the paraphernalia that exists uh, this time of year. Help us to, to stay focused on, on what this is, is all about. And uh, may this, you know, help us to, to grow and make progress in our lives. Lord, please keep us safe as we travel home until we meet again. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake, amen.